Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on another bright day here in the capital city as once again we put the topic of leadership under the spotlight. My name is Scott Challoner and I'm delighted to be joined on today's programme by Dr Colin Clark. Colin is the chairman of High Street Organics, an organic food retailer in Bruton, Somerset, that also sells handmade goods and books from local suppliers. Colin, very warm welcome to you and thank you ever so much for taking the time to join us. All right, thank you. It's a real pleasure having you, Colin. Now, the purpose of this discussion is to firstly establish your take on leadership. So if we dive straight in and look at that word leader on its own, first and foremost, I'm interested to understand what that word actually means to you and how it resonates. Well, in terms of our business, the first thing that we had to do is to understand how the business works and also uh, to understand money, because there were a lot of mistakes that were made before we came back to rescue the business in 2011. And the other thing, of course, is is to get to know our customers and to care for them and also to look after our staff. The, the other thing is, is for me personally and, and the other members of the board, is to set a good example and to get to know our customers personally. And that is one of the reasons why uh, we turned around a business that was losing what twenty thousand pounds in two years to one which had gained in in the bank twenty thousand pounds within four years and in fact so we 've come from being tenants to being owner occupiers and that makes the business uh, very secure and it means also that we uh, employ about eight different people, so a lot of money is ploughed back into to the local economy and People are pleased, and people are coming from a quite a wide area now. So we've got a good reputation, and of course, reputations are hard to gain, but very easy to lose. And when it comes to sort of working with staff members with regards to people management, how would you describe your leadership style, if you will, Colin? And that is caring, in one word. Uh, my wife is the treasurer. And she's extremely good with people. Obviously, there are ups and downs with different personalities and so on. But make sure that people don't get uptight or see the wrong side of a particular situation. And also to make sure that or to show them that they are valued and that, you know, we make mistakes. We all do. And once people know that and you are you know willing to admit it, then, of course, they can trust you. I think in a leadership context, it's almost impossible, isn't it, to develop into an effective leader or even an effective employee without having that experience of maybe making one or two mistakes, getting things wrong, and then learning from that. Um, failure almost is necessary for us to develop, and as leaders even, we never stop learning, do we? We're in a constant process of development in that sort of sense. Oh, yes, I quite agree. Absolutely right. And um, with regards to the turnaround of the business, of course, as you mentioned at the uh, the beginning there, uh, Colin, it's been wonderful how an ailing business has been transformed into a rather successful one in such a short space of time. I'm interested to understand what some of the big inspirations and influences have been behind yourself as a leader um, and maybe who's had a profound influence on you as you've grown up. <laughs> That's an interesting question because when I was young, I worked at the local ironmongers, which was then at the other end of the high street. So I learned a great deal from uh, Mr. Windmill, who was there in business, I think, for nearly 40 years. And he was punctilious, 
he was courteous, he had a sharp eye for a bargain, and he kept his stock wonderfully. And I might add, in fact, that we in the shop now have got over 2,500 different lines, and that is in a space of about 50 square meters. So you can imagine coming into sort of mm. what some people call it like a TARDIS shop. It looks small on the outside, and you go in, and, and it's just the whole place is just covered with all these products. And people are pleased. I mean, some people might think we're crazy because we have over 30 different suppliers. So with all the invoices, the paperwork, and so on. But I maintain that we're there to serve the people. And if you do that, believe it or not, they come back. You know, it's easy to get someone to come into the shop. It's another thing to get them to come back. Mm. I can certainly see where you're coming from, uh, from that point of view, uh, Colin, uh, for sure. And it's interesting that you mention that example of somebody who's had an influence um, on you, because I think a lot of the most influential people out there can so often be the people closest to us, can't they? Be they sort of colleagues, mentors, friends, family. And when we think of leadership in general, we're often tempted to associate it more with sort of the public eye aren't we sort of politics sports celebrity <laughs> and we fail to recognize those everyday leaders um, in society don't we as a result yeah you're right we do and i think recognition for those individuals will certainly go a long way and that especially counts for the here and now as well with the emergence of the COVID-19 pandemic, of course, and the immense challenges that that's brought to uh, businesses, not just in the UK, but all over the world. Um, Given that, of course, you are an organic food retailer, Colin, I assume that you've remained open throughout the pandemic thus far. How has it been for you adapting to the challenges that that's brought? Because I can imagine it has been a tremendously difficult time. Well, at the beginning of March, I wrote a letter into two local papers telling people just not to panic, it's going to be okay. And what happened? The following week, they went in, they stripped through all the supermarkets, and then lo and behold, they descended upon us. <coughs> so our trade, <coughs> sorry, excuse me, our trade, <coughs> sorry, our trade uh, tripled from one week to two to three weeks, just like that. And we were having to get orders in, like the blazes, and of course, <coughs> sorry, <coughs> several of our staff had to be um, had to stay on because of underlying illnesses. So uh, the staff that were remaining, that they worked longer hours. One of our uh, suppliers couldn't come from Bristol, so I hired a mini bus, a mini van rather, and went up and got the order. And then I went up again in my own car another time. And uh, at one time, we were the only shop in Bruton that had eggs. And getting out of flour was, of course, difficult. And as you probably know, the, the old story with the toilet rolls, it was quite a, it was quite an experience. But we managed, and we've come out of it looking pretty healthy. So, you know, I, I'm very pleased. And, of course, as the, uh, what was he called now? The, uh, the, the food and safety man phoned us up and had a chat, and he said, it's very important that shops like us stay open because a lot of the supermarkets were just stripped and, you know, people were starting to get panicked. And it, and it was such a it was such a great shame because it needn't have happened. Anyway, we survived and here we are towards the end of June and doing quite well. 
That's really encouraging to hear. And one thing I'm interested to um, ask about as well is um, how you've perceived sort of existing safety guidelines, because there's been a lot made of how clear government guidance um, has been and a lot of um, sort of polarised opinion. Um, Have you been satisfied, Colin, that you've understood exactly what's been expected of you to keep operating and you continue to be so? Oh, yes. I mean, the staff have been been very good. And and in fact, the... um the food and safety man said that all what we're doing was fine. I mean, we haven't had an inspection now for what a couple of years. I mean, we should have one every every year, but you know that they know us and we know them. And uh, obviously, you know, all these standards are not meant to beat people over their head. They're meant to be for the protection of people. If you understand what I mean, it's just like the law. You know, mm. it's meant to protect us, help us to get on and be more civilized, hopefully. And so, as long as people understand that. Uh, that's fine. No problems. And um, with regards to staff members, you say, of course, they've taken to the period uh, quite well. And given the renewed focus on mental health and well-being, um, how have they found it? Have you had to have maybe sort of one or two discussions where you've had to provide a little bit of reassurance or have they just really got their heads down and gone on with it? Um, the shop manager does contact us from time to time, you know, at, with a little whale here, a little whale there, but um, I think she regards myself and, and my wife as sort of like mum and dad of the shop, if you mm. know what I mean. Uh, people do need reassurance. Uh, you know, who would have predicted this last year? Who would have known? Nobody would have known. So, you know, people deal with it in their own way. Mm. And uh, if there was a, you know, more serious problem, I mean, I'm experienced as a uh, student counsellor, so... I would be able to handle it as, as, you know, in a reasonable sort of way. So I take each day as it comes. It's about recognising, isn't it, from a leadership perspective, that people sort of deal with crisis differently and also it takes different approaches sometimes to match different personalities uh, for sure and I think on the whole that business has really taken to that uh, quite well this uh, current generation of business leaders especially. Um, Thinking about um, the new normal now that everybody's talking about Colin um, to just address that before we the new normal so if we think about the new normal (laughs) that everybody's talking about um, for the future just before we do wrap things up on the uh, the program I'm interested to understand what you envision for yourself and for the business over the next year as we move into the next stage of the pandemic and begin to look to the long term and the challenges that that might bring? Well, basically, we are a cooperative and I intend to put to the board a plan to expand the business, which means uh, opening another branch in a nearby town. That's incredibly exciting. Um, looking at expansion amid all of the uncertainty is fantastic. And, you know, Colin, given how informative it's been actually discussing some of these plans and some of these issues indeed with you um, on the uh, the programme today, I think it would be absolutely fantastic if in the next um, year or so we could actually have you back on just to catch up on how things are getting on and see just how those hopes are being borne out. Yes, yes, certainly. I mean, what did we do? Let me think. We put, we put down £17,000 and we borrowed um, 40, £47,000. That made £64,000. Well, we've got we've got nearly £45,000 in the bank now. And, and and the business was, you know, the premises was, were paid for because we're the freeholder. It was paid for last year. So that will give you an idea. I mean, I mean, mm. the point is, we can't just, you know, accumulate all this money and, and not invest it because we're a cooperative and we believe in the cooperative idea that, you know, we look after our staff, you know, we, all the profits are shared out and so on. So a lot of our prices are good. 
and we, we you know we, we care for our customers and whether people agree with all that or not it's worked and investment in the business world in general is massive at the moment, isn't it? Because those businesses that haven't had the opportunity to modernise, especially, they've had the hand forced into doing so during this period. So investment is really key during this time. Well, yes, that's right. And the other thing is, is that our accountants said, oh, normally, you know, business will borrow over 20 years. And I just looked up and said, well, I was brought up not to owe any money. So we negotiated it for, for five years. And I said, can we pay off more if we, you know, to clear the loan earlier? And he said, yes. This is a co-op bank, of course. And so after four years, we, we cleared the loan. Simple as that. And immediately then we were able to give our staff a very, you know, substantial pay rise. That's fantastic to hear. And let's hope there'll be even more good news to share in the uh, the future. Um, I've got to say, Colin, um, it's unfortunate that we're just about out of time on the programme because it's been wonderful having you um, on the air with us. And we could have discussed this long into the evening, I'm sure. Um, but until we do speak again, which I'm sure we will over the course of the next year, um, do take care and do stay safe with all still going on because we're certainly not out of the woods with this current situation. That's for certain. Yeah, thank you very much. And you take care as well. That was Colin Clark speaking, the chairman of High Street Organics. And to echo what Colin said there to everybody listening in, do stay home where you can. Do look after yourselves because it really does make a difference in saving lives. Coming up next on today's programme, I'll be handing over to Jonathan White for his exclusive interview with England's 1966 Football World Cup hero, Sir Jeff Hurst. During his professional career, Sir Jeff scored over 200 league goals for the likes of West Ham United and Stoke City. But he's most known for the fact that he is still the only man to this day to have scored a hat-trick in the final of a World Cup competition after his treble in England's 4-2 victory over West Germany at the old Wembley Stadium 54 long years ago now. And I hope that you enjoy listening just as much as Jonathan relished speaking with Sir Jeff. That is coming up next. Uh, We're now joined uh, though by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final, Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, Thank you very much for coming on today. uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Although there are one or two people who are very familiar um, uh, who do Google me realise that I did uh, score nothing for Essex. Uh, for my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool, many, many years ago, 1962, I think that was. So I didn't, and, um, yes, I, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be playing, <laughs> I guess, with one or two injuries. Um, but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, mm. being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a there's a, another world that might exist where um, Sir Jeff Hurst was a, a first class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or or football, obviously the importance of leadership it can't be understated, no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes. Was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach. 
or teach me, if you like, at the football. And uh, they quite always mention when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and the manager over many, many, many years. He and he's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over years, I guess. He would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He'd worked with. So you're very fortunate. I think you, you think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and a great coach as we had in Ron Greenwood and, of course, a great manager in South Ramsey. So to come across people like that of that calibre can have a huge influence on your your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's, that's quite purely the case. Absolutely. And in those early days um, at West Ham, uh, with, with a manager like, like uh, Ron uh, there... It's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players. And, of course, they become your friends. Who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself? Was it more? Was it Peters? I think probably, well, I was very fortunate to play with the calibre of the players I did. Again, mm-hmm. again, extremely fortunate to play with you know, the captain um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters who was a fantastic player. And some, as far as Martin's concerned, I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved and what a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, would be the captain, Bob Noor. Although he was only uh, about eight months older than me, he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier. He played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more, looked upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy with the same age group as me. And I looked at how he, how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved, and how he played. And so he, he would say, I would also say he was a big influence on me. One thing I would say about leadership, uh, what I do, I do understand clearly all walks of life. Leadership is at the top, is absolutely vital. For a, a, for a business, a football team, in any walk of life to be successful. And it's quite evident. I was in the motor trade for a long time as well, selling car warranties to car dealerships. And you could almost tell when you walked into the business, uh, in a, many of the car dealerships, you could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all. And so I understand the, the, the value and quality of leadership. And that's why I'm very fortunate to, to be involved in my career in those early days with two, two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Alf Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that. But obviously, uh, after uh, oh, at West Ham, your uh, plan came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man I'm sure when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, the first thing I say about Alf Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. Um, mm. Naturally, it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand, whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you. It can have a great impact on your, <laughs> your career and, of course, your life. But yep. in that era, I was involved for six or seven years. He, it was quite clear who was the boss. 
he was quite very, very strict. Probably at a time, it may be overly strict, but at a time, you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now. But he was the most powerful man I came across and very few people. And he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who he didn't want to be, who didn't want to be part of a group, part of a team. It is important that if you've got a group of people and that's in any walk of life, they're all singing off the same hymn suit and you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in the organization, one thing I have learned and I've taken on my life, my family, You've got somebody in a group that doesn't want to be part of it. You, you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless of that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one thing I, one of the most serious things I think I've learnt over a long period of time. And is there, do you think, uh, a, a specific moment? I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, Jeff, you could uh, perhaps pick right now that did show those uh, qualities in... Uh, so Alf, so uh, sharply. Yes, I think for, for me, certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would would be in the team or certainly in the squad, and surprising they were not. There was no necessary reason for it. But looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of the group. Um, so that that's that for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that. It looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it only a few games before. I was I was playing and I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I was going to be, be playing in, in the team. But uh, in a couple of friendly games, more friendly games, before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway, I think, and Denmark, mm. I didn't. I played two of the four games, and I probably didn't quite replicate my my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England. And he he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay. He started off with Jimmy Green and Roger Allen. So I, I had an impact of thinking I at that stage I like I was going to play, and didn't start because of just a lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position. And somewhat fortuitously, I only got back into it because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Glee's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities, it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. And there really must have been moments, maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know in that 66 competition, the prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation, did it get to you? Oh, not for me personally, no. I I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second. I think Mm. I was just happy to be, you know, be involved in the squad initially. Uh, Not at all. I didn't, you're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really, looking back out, out. So I never really felt people talk about pressure a lot and it's there and people players talk about people talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessary to feel any great pressure pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left behind that were left in the squad after he'd moved one or two players out, the squad were 
a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again, the leadership that Al showed. He, he got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were very, I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Uh, we had some great players, but overall, they were great hard-nosed professional players. Um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realised there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I, I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows, in fact, starting this week over the next uh, two or three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about 20 minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And the, the, there's, I won't mention both. There's too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, the other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> but the, the, the other ridiculous question I get asked, did I realise there were people on the pitch? And, of course, I jokingly say, yes, I was just about to, to shoot to score the goal. And I looked round, put my foot on the ball, and looked round for a little while and said, oh, dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch. So that's, uh, I've had been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke, make a joke about that and saying, yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited to just have a, have a glance round, you know. Maybe it does prove there are things that, such as stupid questions, really. Um, oh, yeah, there are. There certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you into. It won't be too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a Jersey or Channel Line, Jersey or Jersey, two or three mm. years ago, and most stupid, irrelevant questions, absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely. But I can use that now because it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then. But we. Um, uh, well, you want me, I, I can tell you if you want. You want. You got time. I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on. Go. On. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay. So I was uh, doing a, a at a dinner in the you know, Channel Lines, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honor. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about twenty minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening, and there was usual football questions. And then all of a sudden, I had a somebody at the back who who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give mm. this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> what, what a question. What a question. Uh, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Is- uh, well, uh, and we, you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like that. But then again, I found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it did, uh, um, it did make it again, laugh that day. If you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. <laughs> um, but there, there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff, I think um, you, you were a young man when see this happened when you must have realized that people teammates began looking at you for leadership um is that something that occurred to you or did you just realize that by by quick one way or the other 
people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration? Well, possibly. That's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now, quite frankly. That's a new, a new question. Mm. Does anybody look up to me? I'm sure perhaps uh, there are. There are people who pay you compliments of, of uh, fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke. And, of course, in, uh, England fans who... Um, I, I think probably uh, it would be very immodest of me to to suggest I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, you, but, you don't but, have to, but I will. Uh, um, well, it, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it. Uh, perhaps, um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you and um, uh, maybe... Uh, it has a uh, helpful effect, uh, but I do think you, you, how you behave and set examples on and off the pitch is people must realise that that's, that has an influence. How you react and behave mm. to, to situations on and off the field surely probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team latterly. Um, yeah, and and with that, looking at. Um, uh, Football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you as someone with um, those qualities that you could identify in a in a natural leader? Um, well, a player, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really? Well, I think some of the outstanding. I think the, the best example about a, a leader and at the moment is. Is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool? Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to uh, acquire the players and get them to their attitude. Is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but there's more than just being good players in football. It's a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence, these unbelievable results. There are, you know. And the great players not always succeed as, as individuals or probably even uh, certainly as a team if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that, that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck. Absolutely. That's, that's absolute leadership. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today. Uh, easily, easily. And of course, but going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson is just absolutely... Mm. You've got to take him as the first example, but Klopp's only done this over a period of time, a short period of time. But if you look at the 25, 26, 27 years that Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United, and subsequently since he's gone, how they they are not doing so well. He's the best example of management I've seen, we've seen, we've probably ever seen. And I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again. It's absolutely astonishing. Astonishing. And do you think, could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today? Yes, I think so. I think, yes, no, mm. no question at all. I think they, uh, Ron Greenwood, yeah, the answer is straightforward. The answer is yes. Um, they, answer. <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes. I can elaborate as much as you want, but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes. Uh, and with, um, and I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so, but um, I'm conscious of the um, time. Um, looking um, back 
through your um, playing career, perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England, who was it uh, that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership, but uh, companionship and and level-headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later? Well, I think we were very fortunate and I wouldn't take any one player out. I think looking at so that, many. Yeah, so many, and that's why we were successful because we had so many um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team. I think that that was outstanding and, uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath. And there was nobody, and I've been going back from an earlier earlier question for me, that um, all hard-nosed professionals, good good teammates, mm. good socially, and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days every year uh, up until about five years ago. Of course, with, with the sadly dwindling yes. numbers, we we still got on. Our wives got on all together. All those years later, it didn't just finish after '66. That reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. um, getting on with each other lasted for, for a long, long, long time. And I wouldn't and when it, when you put those those questions and how you categorise those, I would pick every one of the eleven players um, who you put in that category that were like that. There was nobody else; they were all outstanding. And I think that was a big part. I can't stress how big Absolutely. a part that was. And I've said that many, many times for the success of the team. We have some great players. You... We have some great players, of course. But without the attitude <laughs> alongside that, going back to an earlier question, you we wouldn't have been as uh, ultimately, ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, you, the, the the whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts. But with it, yes, the word the word is team. the word is t- the word is team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk. Sometimes you know, together, everyone achieves more. And that, that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly, uh, Jeff, looking, if, if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life, what would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single mind in this, uh, single mind in this dedication dedication to the job um, thinking about that 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 role that job in leadership all the time it's a huge part of your life but it, you, I don't think you can switch off when you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level you may you know have a, have a couple of weeks holiday but I'm even sure if, if these top managers and lead, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm I'm sure there's not uh, they will not switch off for, for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organisation. And I think that's, you're completely focused. You're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements. And it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Very good to nice to have a talk about this and just go over this, go over the past and just uh, refresh my mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. 
This has been the Leaders Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence in leadership with us. I've been your host, Scott Challoner. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, or other guests of any other person therein associated.